Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a lesson on the parable of the rich fool. My friends, this is the, this is the foolishness of the non-generous life. It feels right, it seems right in a kind of twisted way, but in the end it shows itself to be the dumbest decision that we could ever make to not be rich towards God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Therefore, when our hearts are devoted to God, our generosity towards Him and His kingdom will naturally flourish within us. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today, Pastor Steve imparts a valuable lesson about the importance of prioritizing spiritual wealth over material wealth and storing our treasures in heaven. It's the conclusion of a message titled, The Foolishness of a Non-Generous Life. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. But now, here's Pastor Steve with today's message. I want to talk with you about love's generosity. More specifically, how the love of Christ through the gospel, through his work on the cross, his resurrection, how his incredible generosity to us must transform our hearts into an incredible generosity to God. God was generous to us. When we get that, it creates a generosity to him and to the works that he is doing. In Matthew 6, 21, he says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Money and heart always go together. If you want to know where your money is, follow the heart trail. If you want to know where your heart is, follow the money trail. They are so intertwined that Jesus can make a really profound statement like this. Our heart and our money always go together. We could say it this way. If you want to know what your real priorities are, look at your bank account, look at your bank statement, look at your checkbook, look at your credit card statement. That says more eloquently than anything else what we really value. Do you think Jesus talked about uh, this all the time because he wanted the disciples' money? Let me tell you something right now. It already was his money. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He did it because he wanted their hearts. And since those two things are so closely together, you can't talk with about the one without talking about the other. Now, towards this goal and this message, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12, if you would. Luke chapter 12, known as the parable of the rich fool. I want to talk with you about the foolishness of a non-generous life. We begin reading in verse 13. Something kind of dramatic happens. Here's what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus basically says, Listen, I'm not the judge here. I'm not going to... Who made me the judge in this? And he just kind of ignores the question. And then he turns to the crowd and he uses the opportunity of this man's brazen question to teach about what the real problem's going on here. And what he says is, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What was behind the request? Jesus, who knows the man's heart, knows what the issue is. This was not a matter of justice. This was a matter of 
coveting and of greed and of a love of money. He turns from the brother who has made this request. He says, be on your guard against all manner of covetousness. And now he tells a story, and this is one of Jesus' parables, one of these stories that, uh, where he illustrates a spiritual truth. And this is the story, the parable of the rich fool. And we pick it up now. Here's what it says in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. All right, we'll stop there in the story. Note what we already know about this fellow. He's already rich. He just has a lot of money. And one particular harvest comes, and it's just like a bumper crop. This guy goes from being rich to being super rich. I mean, he's got so much grain, which in that day was like money in the bank. He's got so much grain, he doesn't know what to do with it. We don't know how much money. We don't know how much. But here's what we know. The windfall revealed the priorities of the man's heart. Suddenly, he's got all of this money. And what he does with it says a lot about where his heart is. We pick up the story. And he said, this is the rich man, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now that sounds pretty good, don't it? I mean, to suddenly have enough money where all you got to do is find a place to put it. And you need a big barn to put it in. And there's so much in that barn that all you've got to think about from that point on is how you're going to relax on that day, what the menu is going to be like, and how you're going to be merry all the day long. Now, that sounds pretty good. In fact, I would say this fellow would fit right into the American dream, would he not? Well, I want you to notice, first of all, the rich fool's self-absorption here. Notice in the text that in a manner of three verses, he manages to say the words I and my 12 times. What is conspicuous from its absence in his response is there is not one consideration of what God would have him to do. There is no mention of thankfulness for God's provision of it in the first place. There is no thought of how to assist others, aid others in any way. Everything is about him. Now, Jesus lays out the man's not-so-strategic plan in verses 18 and 19. First of all, here's the guy's plan. All right, I got all this money. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Now, in that society, to build bigger barns meant basically that you were creating a capacity to pile up your wealth. He goes on to say this, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Does this not sound like what most Americans are hoping for? Is this not the American dream? To get to a place where you have so much, I hear, I mean, you probably hear this, family, friends, or whatever. We want to make so much money that we can retire early. We're willing to sell our soul to the material devil, if we can retire by age 50, whatever, 40, whatever, 30, whatever. This is the ideal. 
Now, here's the question I want to ask you. If this is the ideal, what if Jesus intends to turn the American ideal upside down? Is that a message that an American church is willing to hear, wants to hear, open to hearing? Because what happens now in the story is the thing that this fellow certainly didn't want to think about and what uh, in America we do our very best to avoid. Notice what happens next. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus enters this whole thought of rich toward God? Like, what is that all about? Well, what he says here is that this man, in his calculations and in his planning, had made a very stupid calculation. It was not his decision to build bigger barns or to seek more wealth. At issue here is why he was doing what he was doing and who he was doing it for. He completely missed the fact that life does not go on. And God steps into that moment and says to him, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you. Then who's going to get everything in your bigger barns? And what that does is it brings the reality of life and death and eternity into this man's life. In other words, what God is saying is this, you don't get to keep it. You do not get to keep all these things that you are holding on to and that you are hoarding. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, of course you get to keep it. I mean, there's FDIC laws about protecting us and our deposits, and, and there's policemen to keep people from stealing from you. Of course you get to keep it. Well, actually, no, we don't. How much did the great pharaoh of Egypt, Ramses, get to keep? How much did uh, John Rockefeller keep? How much will Warren Buffett and Bill Gates keep? They will keep the same amount that you will keep. And that amount is what? Zippo. Nothing. There is nothing that we have here, we think we have here, that we keep. We are merely temporarily stewards of these things that God gives to us. Not one dime. In fact, everything that you have, every dollar you have, every cloth item you have, every car in your garage, every valuable item in your house, every television set, every antique, every collectible, every, go on with it, I'll have more tomorrow, uh, all of these you are going to pass on to somebody else. We don't keep anything, do we? And that's what God steps into the life of the rich man and says, what are you thinking? You're, you're being stupid. You fool. That's not a compliment when God calls you a fool, is it? He says, you are being absolutely foolish in your thinking. He says, you have failed. Jesus goes on and just wraps it up. I says, this is how it will be for those that are not rich toward God. My friends, this is the, this is the foolishness of the non-generous life. It feels right. It seems right in a kind of twisted way. But in the end, it shows itself to be the dumbest decision that we could ever make. 
to not be rich towards God. Now you say, well, how do you get rich towards God? Here's what God says, that he will reward everything that we give to him in this life and or the next life. That he is not a debtor to any of us. Everything we give, everything we do in this life, he will reward us for it. Randy Alcorn talks about this in a, in, a, in, a, in a little description. Here's what he says. Put it up there if you would, please. He says, see that dot? That's your life. All of it. However many years that's going to be. You see the long line? That's eternity. It's a very simple illustration. Don't live for the dot. Probably be really stupid, wouldn't it, if you just spent all your time and energy and everything you did just living for that little dot? When the unavoidable reality is that we will spend eternity somewhere and that what we do in this life has a bearing upon the kind of rewards that God gives us in the next, it'd be a very foolish thing, would it not, to live for this dot? I mean, if you were consumed with the dot, if, if there were seminars that you could go to to expand how much you can have in the dot, if you laid in bed at night and just were thinking all the time, how can I have more in the dot, more in the dot? If you spent all your life, all your days working and toiling and laboring and finding your meaning and significance for the dot, that would be a very foolish thing, would it not? It would be really dumb for a church to promote you living for the dot and to say to you that, you know what, love God and that dot, you're going to have lots in the dot. Be all about the dot. That would be a pretty stupid church, would it not? Boy, you wouldn't want to go to a church like that. You would want to go to a church that's going to say, listen, that dot's so short, don't live for the dot. You want to go to a church that's going to say, live for the long line. That's what's going to matter. And that line goes on and on and on and on and on. It's a good point, I think. Don't waste your life. Don't live for the dot. It'd be a very dumb thing to do. And friends, when we, stand, when we die and we stand before God, we will not have one material possession with us. You know what we'll have with us? We will have with us every sacrifice that we made for him. He said, even a cup of cold water extended in my name will not be forgotten on that day. Every service, every offering, every act of kindness, every reaching out to the hurting, every service in the name of Jesus, all those things is what we will stand there. That'll be our wealth before God in that moment. But nothing material, not one thing. Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And friends, this is why how we use our money and what we do with the resources that God gives to us is such a helpful heart indicator. How, what, is, what is that going to be like? What am I going to have when I stand before the Lord? What day are you living for? This one or that one? The dot or the line? How can you know? And this is where I go back to what I said before. You can know by looking at your checkbook. You can know by looking at your bank account. You can know by looking at your credit card statement. Whichever thing on that credit card statement has the most digits in it, that's the thing that you love the most. And the things that has the lesser digits, you don't care about those quite as much. It's just a heart revealer. Money. And this whole parable is saying, if our biggest digits are spent on us, then we are playing the part of the fool. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I read recently a, uh, 
a book that was very much a challenge to me on this. And this is the book. It's the name of the book. It's entitled Radical. Subtitle, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream by David Platt. If I had time, I would read this book to you tonight. Now, I just want to spend a few moments in talking to our church family. You know what the rich fool needed? He needed a good pastor to speak into his life and to say, what are you thinking? Why are you living this way? Now, I want you to know I am very thankful for the many servants in our church who give of themselves in so many ways, time, talents, treasures, all the rest. We have many, 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 praise God for you, keep it up. I am concerned about the quiet percentage in our church that I think needs me to speak to them as a loving pastor and to say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You know, when you hear Jesus say here these kinds of things, and the grim reality that what we do with our resources in this life will determine whether we are rich towards God in the next, we have to ask ourselves, am I playing the part of the fool in the story or not? And as your pastor, I want to be an encouragement to you. I want to be uplifting to you. I want to be a blessing to you. But I also want to be a good pastor to you. And I want to challenge you with the truth of Scripture tonight. I see the statistics in our church of how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that we have who quietly are a part of our church who we cannot discern are giving anything, not one dime, to the Lord's work. I won't tell you the stat, you would be shocked. We also have another huge percentage of people who give so little that it couldn't even be remotely called a biblical tithe. I would more call it a tip. And that statistic would also shock you if you were to know it. Now, maybe these people are giving very generously to missionaries and soup kitchens and all the rest somewhere. But my gut tells me that that is not the case. So I want to speak to you just for a moment. I, year after year, am discouraged when people are recommended for leadership. This has been true my entire time here. People are recommended for leadership, and our Constitution has certain requirements about patterns of faithful giving and to see names drop off the list because that's not the case. That's a tremendous discouragement. Now, you might say, well, <clears throat> if, if you really loved us, you wouldn't talk to us like this. Actually, I want to be the kind of pastor that one minute after you're dead, you're glad I was your pastor. That's the kind of pastor I want to be. And I look at this parable, and I see, you know what the rich fool needed? He needed a good pastor 
to get in his face and to say, what are you doing? Why are you living this way? Why are you poor towards God? But you know what? I'm not in that parable. I am in this story right here at Bethel Church. And I do have the opportunity to speak to you today. And what I think I need to point out to you is that all of us here are rich. We're all rich. You look at any world statistic on money and wealth, the poorest person here would be rich by any standard. And most of us are fabulously rich by world standards. This weekend, we will dismiss our church after the services, and people will go out to somewhere around $10 million worth of cars in our parking lot. And then we'll drive home to hundreds of millions of dollars worth of homes. We are rich. Our barns are big. And the question I think that Jesus poses is a serious one for us. Are we rich toward God? That really is the issue. Now, rich toward God includes many more things than how we handle our money, but it most certainly includes that. And I want to challenge you with the dot and the line and to say, what are you living for? How are you reflecting the generosity of God in Christ to you in generosity to him? Now, that includes our church and so many other kingdom things that God is doing here and around the world. Whatever category you want to put that in, I'm just saying that we need to think about this. This is what Jesus is pointing out. And I urge you, I urge all of us to take careful account of our lives. And my desire is that this would cause us to take a fresh look, a fresh look at everything that God puts into our hands and to ask ourselves, am I being a steward of this or not? Am I using this in a way that is pleasing to him or not? Am I using this in a way that will someday produce eternal treasure for me? I want you to think about being rich toward God. And I think that's my message tonight. No cute little story at the end, Pastor Steve? Nope. Nope. I want you rich. I want you rich. That's Pastor Steve DeWitt reminding us of the importance of prioritizing our relationship with God over earthly riches. You're listening to The Journey and the conclusion of a message titled, The Foolishness of a Non-Generous Life. To replay this message, visit thejourney.fm. And you can also subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite podcast app, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it, for The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Well, today, Pastor Steve reinforced the idea that giving precedence to spiritual wealth over material possessions is of utmost importance. That's why each day here on The Journey, we broadcast God's Word to men and women around the world so that they can grow in their relationship with God and in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when you give to this ministry, you help bring the Word of God to people who need to hear it by helping us share this Bible teaching program. So would you partner with The Journey today? Your gift, regardless of size, will make an eternal impact. To give, call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. 
or visit us online at thejourney.fm. And when you give, we'll say thanks by sending you a book called The Treasure Principle. It's written by best-selling author Randy Elkhorn. This book has transformed how millions view giving. And this revised and updated edition features an additional chapter plus a bonus section addressing frequently asked questions about how to live generously in everyday life. Request your copy of The Treasure Principle today and learn how to store up your treasure in heaven, where they'll last forever. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. On our website, you'll also find helpful articles by Pastor Steve on topics like family, finances, and faith. So be sure to take advantage of these practical resources. Again, that's thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve shares another message about living a generous life. That's Wednesday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.